emerging African filmmakers, and many more at the Moriarty Arts and Humanities Building, Room 104, at the PCC Cascade Campus, 705 North Killingsworth Street in Portland. Again, that's the 29th Annual Cascade Festival of African Films from Friday, February 1st through Saturday, March 2nd. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. And this is KBOO Portland. It's creeping up on 11 a.m. In fact, there it goes. And that means on this first Friday of the month, it's time for a Radio Geekly, continuing its series on video games, computer games, and online gaming. And we're going to get to that right after I remind you of some members of our community, our KBU community, who get involved with keeping KBU happening in a way and at a level that makes sense for them. You can get involved in a way and at a level that makes sense for you at kboo.fm. You click on donate or kboo.fm slash volunteer. There you can put in some time and energy. Meanwhile, I'm going to remind you that KBOO programming is made possible by KBOO listener members and support from Portland Underground Graduate School, a local, independent learning community offering courses and workshops for continuing lifelong learning, scholarships and other tuition opportunities available, course options and more information online at pugspdx.com. And now, as promised, this is a Radio Geekly. Northwest, it's me, Mario. Woohoo! Mamma mia! You guys, you're number one! Woohoo! Hey, folks, thanks so much for listening to another exciting episode of A Radio Geekly. I'm Just Jess, and we are continuing our conversation on video games, computer games, online gaming, and everything in between. <laughs> Everything in between. Wonder what that could mean. Um, geez, I just rhymed. Anyway, <laughs> we have uh, lots of insight to share with you all today, so let's get started. can be found all over the interwebs and worldwide, but what's happening in our local community? I sat down with Josh Boinkin, who is the founder and CEO of Intelligame, uh, a local organization that does some online gaming and sorts. So let's take a listen to that now. Welcome to Radio Geekly, Josh. Well, thank you for the invite. It's uh, awesome to be here. Yeah. So first off, what is Intelligame? So Intelligame is a community that I started back in 2015. I've been writing about games since 2009, 
and wanted to have a space where we could specifically talk about games in a context of how they apply to reality. So IntelliGame is meant to be more than just sort of a game review site. It's a community where people come together and have discussions about games as well as the world around us and how they intersect, oftentimes uh, in regards to social justice, representation, ways that things are highlighted in game narratives, uh, you know, giving us a chance to not only enjoy the games, but also think about ways that they can be better or ways that they have really done awesome, amazing, influential work. So with gaming, that incorporates uh, video games, but also RPGs as well, or...? That's a really great question. So IntelliGame tends to tilt towards the video game side because that's my background, but it's really meant to encompass gaming of any kind, tabletop, video, um, even sort of traditional, what do they, what do they call it, sports ball. Uh, I think that there are any number of ways that, whether you were talking about traditional sports, esports, tabletop gaming, these are all systems that we create as opportunities to put ourselves into new environments, sort of test the waters, to learn things about ourselves. And I think all of those gameplay experiences are relevant. So one way or another, I hope to be able to highlight all of those kinds of stories with IntelliGame. Did you find yourself as a personal experience to be kind of the platform to start IntelliGame? Yeah, I uh, I wrote for some more traditional websites, like I said, since 2009. And I felt this drive to to want to be able to talk about issues of, for instance, race, you know, being a black man who's been playing video games since 1980, who knows, you know, mm -hmm. um, there are any number of situations that occur to me specifically that I realized were not everybody's games experiences, that there were tons of people who felt represented or saw characters that they could, you know, completely associate with for years that I just didn't have that same experience. And so that really... I guess uh, spawn the influence to create IntelliGame, but I've also found that even past that, there are other people who still have that experience more than I do. People in the LGBT community, people who are, um, you know, women or non-binary folks who have any number of ways that their stories aren't being told or highlighted, and even you know, people who are more traditionally represented, um, who just need an opportunity to be able to share their opportunities and their input and their viewpoints. That's awesome. And so do you have a collective of folks that are joining you in this effort? Yeah. So IntelliGame primarily, um, I'm, I'm the driver, uh, though I do have other people who um, who are also sort of part of that team. Jenny Windham, who is uh, also an independent con uh, content creator. Uh, she's over at YouTube.com slash Kim Chica. Uh, she has been uh, incredibly influential in helping me figure out some of the ideas in which directions to drive IntelliGame and she's also been able, been on stream a few times and uh, has written a couple pieces for the site as well. Uh, there are also uh, Adam Garner and Gautam Shrikashan who are part of our what I like to call the IG video team. We have uh, a increasingly growing number of YouTube critical essays that they are the the real masterminds behind. Uh, with Adam being our video editor and sort of project manager, and Galfam being the sound designer and has created some amazing uh, original music for those pieces. And we also have, obviously, a, a really fantastic moderation team um, inside our Discord, which is our special chat server for uh, anybody who wants to be part of that. And, uh, and then I also just consider any member of the community, the people who take part in our live streams and discussion or are talking in the discord they we all help to inform each other's uh, sense of what's going on in the world and I think that's all really important yes very important so uh, folks want to get information about IntelliGame uh, where can they go so the primary website is IntelliGame.us uh, which is uh, I mean it's not IntelliGame.com it's IntelliGame.us because it's, it's we Right. Also because .com was expensive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, primarily I recommend that people who are looking to get involved have one of, one of three great ways. One is the main website, IntelliGame.us. Uh, second is the IntelliGame Discord. Um, for folks who are familiar with perhaps Slack, uh, Discord is a program where you can jump in and join individual chat servers, and we have a special one just for IntelliGame. Uh, and you can join that by going to intgm, int 
intgm for game dot us slash discord so intgm dot us slash discord and that'll go ahead and give you a link there and of course the uh the third one is our live stream which takes place currently on twitch and that's at twitch.tv slash intelligame us and that primarily takes place on wednesday nights at 6 p.m pacific cool so let's get more into your gaming experiences we were talking about um kind of the influences and how this community of gaming can be used kind of like a a, like a platform to start these discussions and things was there any sort of um game in particular that you found that you thought hey this is something really cool that i want to bring you know maybe discussions into the discord or bring to light um more prevalent for you than than maybe some other games or did you find it one of those things where it's like you know i just like gaming and i wanted to share that I think it originally started as the former. I can remember actually doing what was essentially a book report on Final Fantasy, well, it was Final Fantasy 2 when it came over here, but Final Fantasy 4 back in high school and bringing in an emulated copy of of this game. And there's this specific scene between Cecil, the protagonist, and his love interest, Rosa, where Cecil is feeling really conflicted about the work that he's being conscripted to do as a Dark Knight of Baron. Uh, the king he feels is doing some really corrupt work, and, but he feels like he's powerless to change it because he's a knight in the service of the king. And Rosa is essentially like, well, you know, this whole like sort of worry wart character is not the Cecil I know. The Cecil I know would do something about this. And I think that was the first time that I felt like I saw this sort of power in game narrative. And it also felt really strange to be bringing in a copy of a video game uh, into my high school. And so I think that was sort of the the original space. But there have been tons of places where we've had really interesting critical discussions that have been enhanced by having not just my uh, my viewpoint. We did uh, we played through a bit of L.A. Noir, which is a uh, detective uh, a detective story, kind of a Grand Theft Auto style mechanics uh, created by Rockstar, the same company that does L.A. Uh, that does Grand Theft Auto. And as we were playing through it, like, I remember playing it in high school and really enjoying it. It has this mechanic where you're analyzing characters' facial expressions. And at the time, they used some really innovative new motion capture software to capture the, like, visual facial expressions. And it seemed super captivating. And then we played it a couple years ago on stream, and I was like, wow, there's a lot of racism in this game. And, like, and you know, part of it is that it's trying to recreate these systems of... Uh, you know, these systems of oppression that exist in L.A., um, you know, right around World War II. And the I mean, obviously, those systems of oppression still exist today. Yeah. But there were ways in which I felt like there were irres- there was irresponsibility in the creation of the narrative, not just, oh, this is racist because it's set in the 1920s and 1930s. Like there's also some places where it seems like your writing staff was not diverse enough to tell you these are the ways that you need to make sure that while you're representing this scenario, you also point out to your players that this is wrong or these are the people that they should be looking to for moral guidance. So yeah, it's it's an interesting space to be able to work in. Wow, that's that's amazing. And so with IntelliGame, do you bring to light a lot of these, uh, for lack of a better term, issues that you see in games where it comes to you know social oppression, racial oppression, um, just um, oppressions in general? Yeah, I think that that is sort of a, a, a highlight and focus of what we take on for IntelliGame. A large part of it is that many of the char- you know, most of the creators that we have who are involved with IntelliGame come from marginalized backgrounds. So these are sort of the natural lenses, but through which we see the world and the ways that society interacts on us and the ways that we interact back on society. I mean, like we do take time to like just play games, right? Like we've had uh, since the new Super Smash Brothers came out, we've had times where we just like open up a, a lobby to play Super Smash Brothers, uh, or you know, other just sort of fun games. We had a marathon for Spooky's Jump Scare Mansion, where I just like went through, and it's kind of a creepy game where you're supposed to go through a thousand different rooms, and uh, it has some references to various horror franchises, and it was a neat little fundraiser that we did for Player vs. Hunger, which is. Uh, a nonprofit run by my friend Fluffy Pancake, Sylvie Dow, down in Houston, Texas. She started this organization uh, in response to uh, efforts that she did with Twitch Texas for Hurricane Harvey. And so now it's a fully functional nonprofit, uh, which folks can find more information at, at playerversushunger.org. 
So yeah, there there are a lot of ways that we get involved. We still have a good time in that I don't want people to lose sort of the joy of games in the process of critical analysis, but uh, we also have to recognize that we're dealing with a medium that's massively influential, worth billions of dollars in economic activity, and is also one of the forefronts of psychological research when we consider free-to-play gaming or any of the other things that happen in the how games incentivize us to keep playing. So we need to pay attention to them with the respect that they deserve. Exactly. And I think that was very well said. So your online presence is is fairly diverse. You've got multiple channels with Twitch and with YouTube and then also online with the Discord. Mm -hmm. Do you ever go out into the communities, like going to events like conventions and things? As I know, for the tabletop gaming, there's, you know, several different all over nationwide and even across the world. Is there ones that you are focused on that you want to connect with or has IntelliGame connected with some of those events? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I've... I've attended a number of conventions, both personally and I I would say almost in a uh, reporting sense, uh, where attending as press or media and trying to find out in that regard. One of the things that I would like to do this year is have IntelliGame start attending some conferences as like an actual booth sort of exhibitor at a space where people can not only you know, read the coverage that comes after an event, but also come and engage with IntelliGame or to maybe put on different events that are a little more catered to people who want to take a slower paced or perhaps more introverted (laughs) uh, attempt at being able to socialize in some of these spaces. Uh, I just came back from PAX South down in, uh, in San Antonio, Texas. It was my first time attending PAX South. I've been to PAX Prime or PAX West uh, up in Seattle, and that show is huge, absolutely (laughs) gigantic. PAX South, uh, in comparison, is a little more chill, and it's also interesting because it feels like a pretty even split between tabletop content and video game content. Uh, I think that there are so many, pardon me, so many of the video game big AAA video game companies are based on the West Coast or the East Coast, that PAX South being right here early of the year, right before the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco, and before the whole kind of season kicks off, gets a little passed over, but that means that there are some really great opportunities for smaller creators and indie devs to be able to shine. I was also really lucky to be able to come in and speak on a panel with some of the folks from Black Nerd Problems. Uh, Will, Brittany, and Mikkel are all fantastic people and friends of mine and we spoke on issues of representation and pop culture Um, and it gives pack south being a smaller space gives us an opportunity to um to have a space that's a little more intimate while also still having sort of the big recognition of the pen of penny arcade expo Um, i think that that recognition comes as a blessing and a curse because you know penny arcade has not exactly been flawless in some of their issues of representation or um, handling criticism frankly but um, i do think that my attendance at pax events has been because i've seen so many opportunities where people i do respect Um, have been able to inspire others using that platform, and so I support it. Another convention I recently attended was OrcaCon up in Seattle. Oh, nice. And the awesome thing about OrcaCon is that it's an analog games convention that is specifically about providing opportunities for representation, for diversity. Um, Every year they have a sort of different target culture that they're looking for. So this year they they represented primarily like LGBT and did a lot to try and make sure that they had a lot of LGBT uh, speakers and topics for the different panels. Next year is going to be a lot of Mexican, Latinx, Hispanic culture. And I, I love that there is this, especially in a tabletop space, uh, a place where people can go in and feel like they're being supported. Uh, because even I, you know, walking into, uh, you know, being an established gamer, if I walk into a room where I'm, you know, trying to play D&D or some tabletop role playing and I just see a sea of white faces, I just don't know what potential uncomfortable scenario I could end up dealing with. And so I really appreciate that there are spaces that are out there trying to cultivate more of this culture and especially knowing that uh, many of the people who work on that staff, even as, you know, and everybody's volunteer, are members of marginalized communities and are working really hard to to push that forward. So that was a that was a great experience. Amazing. 
Are there any more conventions and events that are going to be upcoming for IntelliGame? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the highlights of the year for me, or my, my two favorite shows generally are GDC, the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco, and that's going to be taking place in March. And then also Game Devs of Color Expo, which is out in New York. It was the inspiration for my first trip to New York City, and should I have any option, I would never miss it again. Um, it's a really special opportunity to provide um, a pretty high production value conference that is specifically catered around uh, or centered on the experiences of game devs of color and the projects they're working on. It's, uh, it's a phenomenal show, and I, I can't help but recommend it, especially for any folks who are out in the New York area. And I'd love, hopefully, to see something like that out here on the West Coast, too. Cool. Any things that folks can check out with IntelliGame.us, like your uh, IG reads? Yes, yes. It's a book club. It is. We're, we are video gamers primarily, but we're reading books. So I, <laughs> last, Such a nerdy thing. Right? <laughs> last year I found that, um, and I think many of us have felt this way since 2016, uh, that Everything in terms of information and even time is coming at this breakneck speed that makes everything harder to process. And I find that when I'm reading, I get to slow some of that feed down a bit. And it gives me the opportunity to control what information I'm taking in and what pace. And I find it hard to prioritize time to read when I know that there are all these other things I'm supposed to be doing, all of these projects I'm supposed to be keeping up on, and of course games to play, and the second that you open Facebook or Twitter, any of these infinite scroll opportunities, you lose tons of time. Um, and so I wanted there to be a space where not only, I, it's a little selfish, I wanted to give myself a reason to do it, uh, but I wanted people to have an opportunity to learn more about games by taking in some of these really important critical pieces of literature um, and so I started uh, IG Reads and Telegame Reads it's a monthly book club and every month we're going to take on a different book that is connected to gaming um, our book to start off the program is called Reality is Broken it's by Jane McGonigal a fairly well known uh, game developer and who has since published a number of other books that have been sort of in that same genre of using game design principles to affect the real world. Uh, Reality is Broken was published in 2011, so I'm really curious not only to have discussion about the concepts that it talks about, these ideas of um, essentially saying, well, if all these people are spending all this time playing games, why don't we take the motivations that are driving them to play games and integrate them into the way that they approach real life? Um, so taking a discussion about some of those basic ideas I'm really excited about but also wondering, well, it's been seven years. It's been a console generation since this book was published. You know, what ways has the world, what ways have people in the world changed or adapted to maybe take some of those things into account where some places where maybe it missed the mark? Um, I think it'd be really a really great opportunity to discuss that. And I love having an opportunity to talk with other people who are not me to be able to get their inputs and perspectives. We had... Um, for IG Game Club, uh, this is actually the relaunch of IG Game Club, uh, where we do a, a game a month. Even some of my favorite games that we took on for IG Game Club back in the day, uh, Firewatch uh, was one of my personal favorites. And then having discussions with other people where I thought, oh, this is this pristine, pure romance. And they're like, actually, but all these things make it look like it might be kind of trash. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. And having a community of other people who want to attach that critical lens. It, I think, helped inform all of us. Cool. When Where can folks uh, sign up for the book club and for IG games? And yeah. So, um, so thankfully, you don't. You, there's no. Uh, you don't have to. You know, submit a formal form. Okay. Um, so basically, the information about the live stream, which is where sort of the discussion centers, uh, is on the website at intelligame.us. Uh, and there are posts for both Game Club and uh, and for IntelliGame Reads. The best way to join in the discussion is to join the Discord. Again, intgm.us slash Discord. And that gives you the uh, access to the channels to be able to have those discussions outside of the main time. And then 
the discussion for IG Book Club will take place on February 4th uh, at 6 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash IntelligameUs. And anybody can jump into that stream. If you are a patron, if you uh, help support IntelliGame on Patreon, uh, then you can actually join in our voice chat discussion, which has been really cool to be able to have people in there, too. All right. And three three fast lightning questions, Josh, before I let you go. All right. I think no. I can do this. <laughs> number one, favorite console. Number two, what are you currently playing? And number three, what are you looking forward to for 2019? Oof, those are those are questions. Uh, favorite console of all time is probably the Game Boy Advance. Uh, there are just a number of games that came out on that console that I could like take with me. I remember using the little worm light plug-in and playing in the backseat of the car. And one of my favorite franchises of all time, Mega Man Battle Network, was a Game Boy Advance awesome. series. So uh, as much as I love the Switch, and it takes kind of a close second, um, I, I really enjoy the, the Game Boy Advance. Uh, second, uh, favorite game of 2018? Was that the Or what are you currently playing? Currently, oh, okay. Um, so what am I currently playing? Uh, we've got a couple of games that are exciting. One of them is called The Friends of Ringo Ishikawa. It's a, oh, how to, how to describe it? You're playing as a, a teenager in Japan who is probably about to drop out of high school, is planning on joining sort of like a Yakuza-type gang culture, um, it's got an amazing lo-fi hip-hop soundtrack, but also finds this way of having you really care about Ringo and the characters that he's surrounded by, his his sort of family that he's taken in in this sort of gang culture. Um, and you also, it's open world, so you can choose whether you want to study and try and like graduate. You can go out in the street and just pick fights. Um, and this was a game that was recommended to me by uh, Jenny Wyndham, Kim Chica. What am I looking forward to in 2019? Honestly, I'm looking forward to having more opportunities to build community. Um, I think that one of the things that we have been exposed to in 20, in, in a world post-2016 um, are the ways in which, if we are isolated, we can really become vulnerable to a lot of different sort of depressions and, and inactivities. Um, I have issues with mental health myself. Uh, I'm dealing with anxiety and depression and trying to keep up in a job that keeps you on the internet can be a real battle. Um, and I do think that in the gaming space, there are a lot of representations of people who are influential in culture, but not necessarily working in ways that I'd consider positive. And so I think in 2019, watching other people take this as an opportunity to build the communities that they want to see, to try and push back against uh, some of the toxicity that has emerged in internet culture and trying to reclaim that space. I really look forward to seeing that happen, and I hope uh, I hope we get to see even more. Wonderful. And once again, IntelliGame can be found, all the platforms and everything, at IntelliGame.us. And Josh Boinkin, founder and CEO of IntelliGame, thanks for joining me on Radio Geekly. Yeah, thanks for the invite. I had a great time. I want to be the very best Like no one ever was To catch them is my real test To train them is my call I would travel across the land Searching far and wide Each Pokemon to understand the power that's inside Pokemon It's you and me
It's always been our dream give up. It's you and me And I'm without destiny Pokemon You're my best friend In a world we must defend Pokemon A heart so true I covered with blessed You teach me catch them all that's right we are talking about pokemon so this next piece is from david he sat down with cat meow to talk about pokemon and her enjoyment of that game all right this is david kester's part of the radio geekly collective i am here with cat meow that's right and she is going to give me a primer on pokemon also known as pocket monsters pocket monsters so my understanding is that pokemon is it was created by Nintendo in what the nineties? Early nineties. Okay. Mid nineties. I mean, it was originally on Game Boy. Yeah. So there was a blue Pokemon. There was a red Pokemon and a yellow Pokemon. And these are the creatures. They were there was a blue one. No, they're different they versions was... of the game. Okay. Yeah. So it's the same game, but different Pokemon are the stars of those games, I guess. So you. At the beginning of the game, you get to choose which Pokemon you want, and each version of the game has a different one as the one that you get to choose. That makes sense. Okay, so you have you chose a green Pokemon for what? Well, you... green. Actually, I'm glad you said that. Actually, Japan did release a, a green one. Later. All right, you didn't say green. It was yeah. It's think primary colors: red, blue, yellow. All right. So you you would play your yellow Pokemon. And you would go and catch the other Pokemons. Mm -hmm. Explain. So you start out as a kid who um, wants to be a Pokemon trainer. Um, you get to name yourself. The main character is named Ash, though, because there was also a spin-off cartoon series. I so remember. if you ever want to go in depth, that's the place to go. It's it was but, one of those cartoons that you had I, like eighty episodes a season. And it yeah, but the Charizard one where he almost dies because his flames going out because his trainers mean to him and abusing him makes me cry every time I watch it. So be careful because some of them deal with heavy feelings. It sounds a lot like one of those Dragon Ball Z types where you have about ten minutes of this was what happened on the last episode. Definitely, you have thirty seconds of new stuff and you have ten minutes of on the next episode. And, the, and also the really long theme song. And there's also a Pokemon rap where they count through a bunch of Pokemon. And they go through like 25 at a time until they until they rap all of the Pokemon names, and that's at the end. Okay, but that's here and there. Tell me about oh the game. The yeah. game. Okay, so you start out as this little kid. You start out. You go to this professor who's like super knowledgeable about Pokemon, and um, he gives you a Pokemon. You get to choose between three, and so you choose that Pokemon, and that's your first Pokemon ever. And then you have to start. Uh, you have to go on a mission to all these other different towns and on the way you have to walk through tall grasses and you have to fight Pokemon so 
with your Pokemon and you're eventually you get these little balls that you throw out and sometimes you throw you want to throw them out when the Pokemon that you're battling is weak and it will cause them to not be able to burst out of the ball that you throw out to capture them. So you're basically your 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 goal is to put Pokemons in balls. In balls and then you also have to make them fight other Pokemon and keep them from passing out because that's no good for their health. So they're like your your slaves? Pretty much. Okay. They do what you say and you can let them pass out, but that sucks for them. And then as they get older, most Pokemon have uh, three levels that they level up to like physically wise. So some Pokemon will start out little and cute and then they'll turn into giant huge monsters. Okay. And when they're when they're that big, you can't flush them anymore. <laughs> probably not. Well, some of them you probably could still. So you put these monsters in your balls and then you go and you fight them against each other and the You goal... fight them against some that are wild. And that and that's the ones you can catch. You can't catch Pokémon if there's someone else's. So you also meet people along the way who are also Pokemon trainers. And there's also Pokemon like schools and um, like battle arenas that like really good Pokemon trainers battle at. And as you do that, you get like badges or some something like that that give you access to higher and higher levels of stardom in the Pokemon training world, I guess. All right. So what's the ultimate goal here? The ultimate goal, according to like the cartoon and the... The game for like there was also a card game that was like Dungeons and Dragons um, is to catch all the Pokemon and it's actually in that really long theme song too it's the big it's I think it's the first gotta catch them all gotta catch them all right. like that's I like the commercial yeah catch all the Pokemon and there's lots and they keep making more of course and this game is still going on people are still catching their Pokemon well the last version that I saw was the 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 application on the phone oh, game. That's right. Okay. So I there's Pokemon that. Go, I think it's what it's called. Yeah. And so that's catching Pokemon in real life mapped out cities that are the cities you're living and in. And I'm sure the people in the audience probably know more about this stuff. It's then. nuts because yeah. you can be like on MLK and and Broadway and there's a Pokemon at the gas station. That's what is that? Reality, um not altered reality. It's at what is the word? It's like <laughs> not virtual uh, Dang it. Something reality. It's like created reality. Like faux worlds. And the ultimate goal is to buy all the games. You gotta buy the all cards. the games, all the cards, all yeah. the movies, all, so, the, so like, all the TV shows on VHS, and maybe they're on DVD now, who knows. And then probably you want the soundtrack, and then probably you, you want each version of each game, and you want each system that you can play each game that, on. That's it, I just... And you also want to make sure uh, that... I can't do this anymore, um, are you hey right. wait but there's more there's more but there's all right it now it doesn't end it, we're good we're good thanks well, and the n64 that i have uh is actually the pikachu edition 60, n64 and when you turn it on the light the light in its in the pikachu cheeks light up Open Mic Music, our resident movie critic and also fellow gamer, talked about the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse film as well as the PS4 game Spider-Man. So let's take a listen to that now. Open Mic Music for another episode of a Radio Geekly. This month's segment, what can you, how can you top Spider-Man? Well, you can top Spider-Man by entering Spider-Man into a Spider-Verse. And that's what we're going to review, Into the Spider-Verse, coming up on a Radio Geekly. Yeah, I'm so happy that I have this opportunity to review another version of my favorite character. And Into the Spider-Verse is exactly that. 
it's a variation of Spider-Man. It's Spider-Man in a variety of ways, which makes the movie so charming, so fun, and so entertaining. So let's take a look at a few key points of this Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. First off, the main character is not who you suspect the character to be. Now, it's not exactly Peter Parker, but then it's not exactly Peter Parker. The main character is a newcomer called Miles Morales. He's a teenager of Latino background, and he's culturally rounded. Miles Morales was introduced to the comics, I think around 2010. And I didn't think he got credit he deserved as a young brown boy. The movie added roundness to his character, insight to his thoughts, hopes, insecurities. It showed him as a regular kid struggling to find a place in a world where everyone else was just a little bit more sure of themselves. And it's a reflection of a lot of teenagers today and teenagers for generations. I know that when I was first reading these comic books about Spider-Man, I suffered from a lot of insecurities and these things that I related to with Peter Parker. And to see that in a, in a superhero of color, I believe was a bold move. And I, for one, appreciate it. I watched the movie in theaters. Um, I didn't really go to the 3D. I just don't like the whole fast motion. But I did appreciate the graphics and the colors. Everything was amazing. I liked the way it was set up in a comic book-like fashion. And it was almost like a live-action comic book. And that's one of the great things that I, I appreciate. Um, they didn't take that away. And obviously, being a Brooklyn, New York native, the fact that Miles Morales was from Brooklyn excited me to uh, a great length. The musical score to the movie uh, serves as a reminder that this is a trendy kid. Regardless of his personal struggles, he's still a teenager, so he had good taste. And I did enjoy the, the musical score. Outstanding. Um, you could see him fumbling, awkward singing. Um, I also listened to the soundtrack. Um, that, I, once again, genius. And um, society has made it being able to identify um, ourselves as individuals is very important. And I think this movie also uh, pointed out that as well all of us as individuals have worth in this world and we all um, serve a purpose and um, I definitely want to give it up to the, the the voice of the character of Miles Morales his name is Shamik Moore he's out of Atlanta he's a singer he's a dancer and he's an actor and Obviously, as you can tell, if you go and see the movie into uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, you can tell his voice. He's he, he's very charismatic, he, charismatic. He brings the character to life. Um, he he gives the, the character personality and he makes the character intriguing. Um, also, uh, I want to make note that Nicolas Cage's voice is in the movie and um, Lily Tomlin. She's also, her voice is also in the movie. And um, all of these characters, they bring so much to this animation. And I, for one, enjoyed it greatly. Um, one other note that I wanted to point out about Into the Spider-Verse was, while introducing new characters, Into the Spider-Verse brought back some old characters as well. Such as one particular character who is probably more familiar to Daredevil fans as Daredevil's foe, and his name is the Kingpin. Spider-Man also shares Kingpin as a foe. And into Spider-Man, into the Spider-Verse, brings back that story or that rivalry between Spider-Man and the Kingpin. 
And I also like the way that Marvel took a chance. Marvel used what we're experiencing now in our society and in our culture, the diversity in characters, and the fact that Marvel was willing to take a brown boy from an environment that I'm familiar with, a neighborhood that I grew up in, and knowing about that culture and how that life was for me was very important. It felt like I was able to relive my childhood because I felt like I was Miles Morales. I had that opportunity to put on a Spider-Man costume and be that character. So it was that important to me and that intriguing for me to see this movie and relive my childhood through this character of Miles Morales and knowing that he actually was living in my neighborhood, in my town, in the place where I grew up. And it was great. It's a, it's a good movie. The music score was excellent. And we also have to understand, while watching this movie, you know, society has made it able to identify ourselves as individuals. And that's important. And having a superhero reflective of of me and having a superhero who looks like a lot of black and Latino young males in our society was important. I enjoyed that. I liked it. I support it. I thought it was great. It was worth it. It made it exciting. It made it made it important to me and a lot of other young Latino and black young males can go and see this movie and feel the connection. Miles Morales is pulled into another dimension where everyone is Spider-Man and he teams up with other Spider-Man like characters um, one in particular Spider-Ham and Penny Parker um, teams up with them to take on Dr. Olivia Octavius and Wilson Fisk because they're in a parallel universe and trying to find their way back Particularly, Miles Morales, he wants to get back home to his family. And all of them are teamed together. I say them, the characters of the Spider-Man uh, dimension, all teamed together because they are brought from each one of their dimensions to this one dimension where Spider-Man can team up with other Spider-Mans. And Wilson Fisk is trying to go back in time to change things that mm, probably shouldn't be changed. So that's the reason for the battle and the struggle and the conflict between those two. And I actually enjoyed watching Miles Morales develop his powers and come into his own and develop his own character of how he wanted to wear the Spider-Man costume and it was pretty cool because Miles Morales coming from Brooklyn being a graffiti artist having that Latin background he added all of that to his personality and his character and that music that he enjoyed it was good it was good to see so yes I enjoyed Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse a great deal and also, as an extra treat, I went out and I made a purchase on my PS4 for the Spider-Man, the latest version of the PS4 video game. And I have to tell you, this version of the Spider-Man, I know, but check it out. It's really good. The, the scenery is great. 
the interaction is great the fighting techniques all great I like the action um you even get to boost up uh, different characteristics and powers um replayability is pretty high on my score but you check it out see for yourself once again PS4 Spider-Man I like to give credit to the opening score what's the name of that funk by Ramsey Lewis this is open mic music for Radio Geekly up another episode of a radio geekly tune in next month as we talk more geeky things if you want to catch us online you can join us on facebook facebook.com forward slash radio geekly or send us an email a radio geekly at kboo.fm until next time i'm just jess take care and thanks for listening
That's right, this has been a Radio Geekly and in larger context, which has in turn been a part of your morning news and public affairs block and your community radio, KBOO Portland. It's coming up on noon o'clock, which means we're going to be handing over the air room, handing over the mixing board, handing over this very microphone to the one, the only, the indomitable, the inimitable, the all-around mensch, and what a guy, Mr. Don Jacobson who will be bringing you approximately 90 minutes of the very best, the very best, Robbie Burns, that's right, the Bard of the Bray, and you, Utah Phillips. Yes, the poet of the hobo jungle of the mind. All for you just because he can and because he loves to and because of his commitment to the material and commitment to making it available to you the listener what's that worth to you tell us at kboo.fm slash give meanwhile I'm gonna hand you off to some live Headline news. My good friend Janka Soderberg is going to tell you a little bit about what's happening around the state, around the country, and around the world. And then we're going to bring you, as promised, moving on with Don Jacobson. So stay tuned. You are listening to KBOO Portland. The time is 11.56. We're going to give you the KBOO news at noon a few minutes early here. A new bill to preserve a free and open Internet is on its way to the U.S. Senate after the FCC gutted net neutrality in 2017. Senator Ed Markey from Massachusetts said today he would soon introduce a bill to permanently reinstate the net neutrality rules that were repealed by the FCC two years ago. Markey's announcement comes as a federal court is set to hear oral arguments today over the FCC's repeal of net neutrality regulations. Oral arguments are beginning today in the most prominent lawsuit challenging the federal government's repeal of broadband access rules. Net neutrality ensures that internet users will have equal and open access to all websites and services. Without it, the internet will soon become a pay-to-play type of platform in which smaller independent websites and services like KBOO.FM would become more difficult to access. Senator Ron Wyden, a vocal advocate of net neutrality, has not yet taken a stand on this new bill that's being proposed by Senator Ed Markey. In an Oval Office interview this morning, Donald Trump railed against the Russia investigation and continued to threaten to declare a national emergency in order to build his border wall. In the same interview, Trump whined about being treated unfairly by the press, saying that he is, quote, entitled to a good story in the New York Times. Meanwhile, here on the West Coast, Facebook's latest privacy scandal led to an unexpected blowback from Apple this week. After Facebook was exposed distributing an app that allowed them to spy on users' activities, Facebook employees arrived at work on Wednesday to find all of the company's internal apps had stopped working. Their work calendars, campus maps, schedules, and menus were all shut down by Apple. When Apple discovered that Facebook had violated rules by spying on users, it revoked Facebook's special access to apps and updates that run on its iPhone software. The U.S. Department of Justice has formally announced its green light for a merger of two of the world's largest drug companies, Bayer and Monsanto. This decision comes despite the one million public comments received by the Department of Justice opposing the merger. More than 93% of farmers and 90% of Americans as a whole are opposed to or concerned about this merger, according to recent polls. Friends of the Earth called the approval of the Bayer-Monsanto merger a disaster for American farmers and families. The group says this toxic mega-merger will only further entrench the failing model of chemical-intensive agriculture, which is poisoning people and the planet. 
In Oregon news, there are just two days left in the public comment period on a proposed natural gas pipeline and terminal at Jordan Cove along the Oregon coast. The Canadian fossil fuel corporation Pembina wants to build the Jordan Cove energy project to export fracked liquefied natural gas from Canada and the Rockies through southern Oregon to Coos Bay and then to Asia. This would require a 229-mile Pacific Connector fracked gas pipeline across private and public land, creating a 95-foot-wide clear-cut through southwest Oregon's forests, farms, and rivers. The pipeline would terminate in an export facility in southern Oregon in the port of Coos Bay. This facility would be located in the tsunami hazard zone, which could potentially place thousands of people in a burn zone in case of an accident. It would also put the drinking water of 150,000 Oregonians at risk. This project is opposed by a broad coalition that includes landowners, existing small businesses that would be impacted, tribes, health professionals, climate action, and water quality advocates. In 2016, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, which very seldom turns down any energy facility permit application, denied a permit for the Jordan Cove Natural Gas Export Terminal at Coos Bay. But the company has continued to push the project. More information and a link to the public comments can be found at nolngexports.org. That's it for the KBU News at Noon. Tune in again today at 5 p.m. for more local, national, and international news produced by volunteer reporters right here in KBU Southeast Portland Studios. For KBU News at Noon, I'm Jenka Soderberg. You're listening to KBOO Portland. KBOO programming is made possible by KBOO member listeners and support from Hopworks Urban Brewery, offering sustainable brews and local food for 10 years. Serving the community at three locations, Hopworks Urban Brewery on Southeast Powell Boulevard, Bike Bar at North Williams Avenue, and in Vancouver at Southeast Mill Plain Boulevard. For more information online at hopworksbeer.com. You're listening to KBOO Portland, 90.7 FM, Hood River and the Gorge at 91.9 FM, Philomath and Corvallis at 104.3 FM, and streaming on the web at kboo.fm. I hate a song that makes you think that you're not any good. I hate a song that makes you think you're just born to lose.